How many things do we do in our household? The repetitive tasks that are that just kind of drive us crazy and drive us to discontentment when we're looking at it the wrong way because there's greater weight to what we're doing when we're you know making dinner we're taking out the trash there's greater weight than just um you know a, a temporary satisfaction there is eternal weight to those uh to those works the lord's placed in front of us so yeah there, there's glory in the ordinary and this is abraham's wallet join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity spiritually relationally physically intellectually and financially run your home your dough like a biblical boss. Aaron, welcome to the Abraham's Wall podcast. Who is Aaron Bear? I'm uh, I'm 30 years old. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah with my family. I've been married for eight years. I have three kiddos of my own, a daughter and two sons. And uh, I'm a school teacher, teach English. Um, originally from Kansas City, so I'm a, a big barbecue and Kansas City sports guy. Although maybe don't you know ask me about the, how the Chiefs are doing this year. It's uh, not looking like our like our year. When you say barbecue, what does that mean in Kansas City? Because I'm a Texan, and I yay verily today for lunch I had some leftover ribs, but. Um, Kansas City, you guys have a different definition of barbecue, right? What does it mean in Kansas City? Yeah, the different flavors of barbecue. We're very much about our sauce in KC. Uh, oh, it's kind of like the rich, bold sauce, and just kind of lathering it on, you know, slabs of meat that we that we smoke. Um, well, I think Texas is more kind of slow and slow, dry rubs, that kind of stuff, right? I think that beef is king in Texas. When I think of Kansas City, I think maybe. Maybe this is wrong, but I think of pork. Is pork more of the star of the barbecue there? It's probably fair to say. Although we can uh, we we can dabble with with beef as well, and you know, rival okay. Texans. Okay. <laughs> well, I I love Kansas City. One of my good friends lives there, so I've actually spent a fair fair bit of time in Kansas City. Um, there's a couple other things about you that I just wanted to get on the table because it'll help make sense of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to insult you on your first time on the Abraham's Walt podcast. But would it be fair to call you a bit of a Tolkien nerd? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you for those watching, uh, you'll see some uh, Middle Earth theme posters right behind me. So I've been swimming in Lewis and Tolkien's writings and ideas for for a very long time. That's part of why you know I wrote uh, a Joyful Outpost. Um, I definitely have thought and read more from Lewis, but yeah, I, I love Tolkien as well. You mentioned you're a school teacher. I think we could go down this whole rabbit hole. Maybe we will on a future episode, but, um, I always think it's interesting when believers are teaching in the public school system. You've said to me in the past things like, I wouldn't necessarily send my children to this, uh, environment, but it's quite a, a ministry are sort of the things that you do in your day day job um, related to the, the writing you do, the thinking you're doing, even in this book? I try to as much as I'm able. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't be as overt as I'd like, but um, I definitely view myself as a missionary 
you know, um, as a school teacher. And so um, as much as I'm able to influence curriculum or conversations, and my subject is, is great for that, you know, English, uh, being able to read and to write, um, it definitely yeah. yields lots of discussions like that. And so I just try to take advantage of that as best as I can when the Lord, you know, puts it in front of me. Cool. Um, and Aaron and I are not only connected through our city, but we actually attend the same local church. Uh, so I get to benefit from your family in all sorts of ways, one of which, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this as well as to some of the stuff you're doing, but your wife creates awesome music, particularly worship music and psalms and things like that. So if you want to hear Aaron's wife uh, singing, we'll put a link to to some of the Spotify in in the show notes of this episode. Uh, but you guys have have actually been a blessing to us for a long time because you've poked around different churches we've been a part of. And I think uh, hearing Caitlin sing has always been a highlight of of Sunday mornings. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, let's get into the meat. You, you've written a book. What's it about? What's it called? Yeah. Uh, so the book I wrote is called A Joyful Outpost, and it uh, explores the household economy of two characters from uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. So the beavers, uh, much beloved characters, um, for those listening, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's not very many um, critiques that one would have regarding the beavers. There's, there's very likable. Um, and, you know, e- even Mr. Beaver, he has probably the most iconic line in all the Chronicles when he's talking about Aslan and, you know, how yeah. he, he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, right? That's probably the most iconic line coming from the Chronicles. And that's said from Mr. Beaver's mouth. And so there are obviously characters that, that, um, that the audience loves. But with that said, um, I think uh, although they're beloved, a lot of what they do in the story is overlooked um, just because of, um, you know, there's so many other things going on in the line, the, the witch in the wardrobe, right? Like just this big arc of good versus evil, uh, Aslan versus the white witch, um, the Pevensies coming in to fulfill the prophecies, all that kind of stuff. And so the beavers um, kind of get... Uh, shoved under the rug a little bit. And so I wanted to kind of bring to light some of what um, they do in the story and just how important they are to it. Yeah. And Stephen and I have talked a lot about reading Lewis and specifically the Chronicles of Narnia with our kids. Um, I'm sure there's people listening who have never read the Chronicles. Uh, but when, when did you, when did you bring those? Cause you've got, relatively young children have you brought c.s lewis into to your home yet for the kids totally yeah so my oldest her name is lucy so you can obviously see a connection there um she has a, a the she has a, a a picture in her room uh of one of the original uh, pieces of art from the lion which in the wardrobe where it's lucy and mr Thomas walking through through the forest uh with his um, umbrella um and we've read um, one, maybe one and a half of the stories to her. I also have a two-year-old and a nine-month-old. They, um, <laughs> they pick up on a few things here and there when we're talking with Lucy, but we haven't really intentionally tried to yeah, you know, yeah. read story, those stories to them yet. Okay. So, so is it fair to kind of sum up that the, 
I don't think we do this enough really in, in modern Christianity, which is take actual lessons about how we could run our households from art and literature. Um, and to me, it's, it's, like I, I used to be Mr. I'm only reading nonfiction and self-help and Christian living type books. And I've really changed in the past couple of years. I'm going to, in a couple of weeks, we're going to record my annual favorite books of the year podcast. And there's almost nothing on there nowadays that's not fiction because of, I think some of what you've done here, although most fiction that I've come across this year was not quite as, uh, high in gravitas as, as Lewis, but still, um, (laughs) like, is that just the norm for you? Would you say you that go to, to fiction often for instruction on living? Cause I don't see it happening that many places. I'm, I'm pretty excited to read the book. Yeah. Um, fiction is definitely a main part of my diet for sure. Um, I do read nonfiction as well. I think there's, you can definitely learn a lot from both, but I mean, storytelling, it, it's just in many ways, it, it cuts deeper. than if you're reading a piece of nonfiction, just because stories kind of shape our affections, whether we realize it or not, um, they really kind of get down to the core of who we are. Um, I'm, this is a total paraphrase. I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but uh, I believe Plato once said, you can have the politicians, but give me the storytellers because he, he really understood that, I mean, it, we are creatures who crave stories. Yeah. And of course, the gospel is just, you know, it's the story and all these other stories that we tell um, are, you know, they, they reflect the that story in, in one sense or another. Where do we start when we're trying to learn about a household economy from the Beaver family? To talk about the Beavers, it might seem a little weird to be like, how can we learn, you know, uh, practical principles as humans from from a couple of beavers. I've been recently reading for the past few years stuff on the, the household and kind of recapturing the biblical household. Um, I think it's just really important. And so I just started to think about what what's some um, what are some things I could glean from the chronicles regarding the chronic uh, regarding the household. And you know, the beavers are one of the only married pairs in, in, in the chronicles. And so I started there. And was really surprised by how much was there. A, a few of the topics that I uh, was able to, to kind of glean from from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe about their household, uh, about them first as men and women. So masculinity and feminine, f- femininity, those are two uh, staples uh, in the book. Um, hospitality and feasting, uh, learning to, to rest in a biblical sense. All those things, I think, play a huge part in a household. And um, it's really cool how um, it flushes out in the story with the beavers. Those are all very interesting to us here at Abraham's Wallet. So start us where we should start. And I think the picture that's being painted, kind of thinking broadly for a second about the beavers, is really important and really relevant. Um, Because when when we meet them, you know, it's still winter in Narnia. And it's not just any kind of winter. It's an enchanted winter. It's a cursed winter. It's um, a winter without the expectation of Christmas or spring, right? It's essentially creation taken out of its natural rhythm or like a slow death for all things. It's suffocating Narnia. And 
despite that, in the midst of that, here are the beavers hanging out in their dam. You know, they're enjoying um, a great and gloriously sticky marmalade roll, as Lewis describes, uh, freshly caught fish, you know, jugs of beer and milk and, and just feasting and, and revel, re- reveling, sorry, that's a hard word, uh, reveling uh, in the prophecies of spring, right? When, you know, uh, Mr. Beaver's talking about Aslan coming and whatnot. And then the poem, uh, all that stuff, like they're just, it's a, it is a joyful outpost in that sense that, you know, even in the midst of this winter, that's waging war on them, essentially, they are still just carrying out what they're, what they're called to do. Yeah. And so, I mean, not to get trite with it, but in a, in a sense, they, you get the feeling that the beavers could be just as happy if things are going to go worse and worse for the next 50 years or if spring was going to come in two weeks because they've kind of established something how does that how does that speak to you as a 30 year old guy with a young family in salt lake city in 2023 for a few more days yeah um it's challenging it's very challenging just because you know i want to fortify my household well uh, so I can raise my children to to serve and love the Lord so I can lead my wife well. Um, but, you know, especially in, in this day and age, there are so many different channels of influence that are just kind of, you know, being peppered in. Um, one of the things that I talk about in, in the book is kind of to, to be watchful of, uh, of those different channels. And so like a, a relevant example is, is television right? Like how many times have we just put on a show for our kids without really thinking about uh, the content of it? When, you know, coming back to the stories, like if, you know, if it's a show they love, you know, those stories have shaping and building power on their hearts. And so in that sense, the outpost could be compromised, right? Because being infiltrated in that regard. Um, so I've been doing my best to, um, to think about those things deeply and how I want to, to raise my children well in that regard, especially um, without getting too, and this is a trap for sure, without getting like too legalistic about it or yeah. Yeah, too um, cynical about it, you know? It is a different thing to be raising a family to to know Christ in a city that is just really, really lost. Um, like the place where Aaron and I live, just if you don't know, is well, I, I don't know what the stats are today because we've grown a lot in the past couple of years. But when I first moved here, um, it was between two and three percent of the population in our valley had heard the Christian gospel. Um, and so there's that. There's the I guess I'd call it the the woke nonsense that has been on constant assault even if you are homeschooling and uh you know a part of a robust local church that's still coming in so i don't know was that a piece of of the beaver story and their ability to to create some joy in the midst of a real outpost because i feel like we are in a. I mean this is what i named my financial planning company is outpost advisors because our whole thing is we want to help families create an outpost for the kingdom wherever they are. Like I said, we have a bit of a unique uh, shared geographical set of challenges where we are, but 
um, everybody that's listening to this, I don't care if you're in the buckle of the Bible Belt or, you know, in communist China, God bless you if you're streaming Abraham's wallet into China. But uh, <laughs> uh, everybody's got to do what you just said and kind of first set up some some ramparts and defenses to create an outpost. Was that part of the story or is that just something that you naturally derive the, okay, step one, create some walls around the outpost if I'm going to be able to, to have joy and feasting and all that stuff inside. Starts with, you know, in the household and what they're trying to create. And so like some of the, I think a central theme um, in the beaver's household is one of contentment. Like um, the, the world is freezing out there, right? It's slowly dying, but they are content where they're at in their household. It doesn't mean that they don't try to go out and try to, you know, affect um, the witch's spells and, and to overcome it, but um, they are um, content in, in what they've been called to do and where they're at currently. You said kind of the first thing you said was order of the home was critical. So there was an, there was a father and a mother, a male and a female, um, kind of filling their roles. I would love to hear you talk a little more about that, but contentment was number two. Um, do you want to, do you want to color in that first point though, before we move on? I'd ask the question, why did Mr. Beaver go and get the children and not Mrs. Beaver? Um, which I think is important. Um, and I contrast it with another scene in, in the Chronicles or in that story where Father Christmas is giving um, those gifts to the kids um, later on in the story. And um, he gives Susan a bow and arrow, right? And uh, then Lucy a dagger. And then he's talking with Lucy about uh, the dagger itself. And she's like, you know, I think I might be brave enough to fight after he says, I hope you don't, you're not to use it in that way. And then father Christmas replies with, well, Hey, that's not the point. Uh, and then he says, when, when, uh, battles are, are ugly when, when women fight. And I draw the attention to that preceding statement. That is not the point. And kind of talk about, um, that's where the idea of like submission comes in where like, um, Lucy w- was probably brave enough to go fight in that, uh, end battle to take out the white witch and her army. But should she have, that's a very different question and, uh, kind of gets into like what we're called to. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> there's implications. I mean, do you think that that has implications all the way to how we order general society? Like, gender roles in in society or is that are you kind of saying for again first take care of inside your own home totally i mean it definitely starts there in the home right but um i definitely think it applies in a larger context as well for sure yeah men and women are are, are built for for different things and um when we try to blur those lines we're um i think we're doing a disservice to the and I use language high calling that God has given to both men and women, not just, you know, the man has the higher calling, the woman has a lower calling. No, the calling, the callings we have are really important. And when we um, really like submit to that and, and, and try to um, do that to the best of our abilities, that's when we start to see, um, well, I, I think that's when we start to see spring, spring come again. 
one of the arguments in the book is that they uh, were functional parents to the Pevensies when they got into Narnia and then as they ushered them to Aslan's camp and was able to, to, to meet him, um, that they, they played an important role in that regard. And so in a sense, they're a father and mother, even though they don't have, at least that we know of any biological yeah, children. Is it possible that we're just dealing with a very short gestational period for beaver babies and the, their children moved out like four weeks after birth? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. It still feels pretty important to me. Um, the, it starts there and even like nature is, is out of order or outside of the outpost. Um, like you said, there's not supposed to be winter that just lasts forever. Um, and so that's, that's kind of an internal to the household thing. They can't go depose the queen that's cursed the land and feels like a lot of us get tempted especially in times like the one we're in right now we're even entering an election year so i'm sure this is going to get more pronounced but Mm -hmm. we get tempted to really say okay i'm going to set things right and i'm going to start in the furthest out ring of my influence like politics or something like that and we neglect order on the first ourselves and then maybe our household. One of the things I say in the book is um, because they were in harmony with the Lord or with the King and what they've, what he's called them to, they were able to be in harmony with each other as well. Um, Mr. Beaver is, is definitely, you know, the head of his household uh, and, and Mrs. Beaver comes alongside him as his helper. I, I think that's very clear from the text and, and that I do argue that in, in, in the book, I, I, I give a chapter devoted to Mr. Beaver and how he displays himself as masculine. I really focus on the image of God in that chapter and how men specifically are to image God by being prophets, priests, and kings in their respective areas, just as Christ is our ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And so I just kind of go through how Mr. Beaver um, fulfills those roles in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, how he was a prophet and a priest and a king. I love the idea that we can... I mean, we're harping on this, but go back to just reading a a fun story and maybe the first time through with a five-year-old, it's a fun story, but our kids are going to pick up some of this stuff about what does it mean to be the masculine head of the household? Like, good luck if you're trying to build a well-ordered home and you have a husband and father who's saying, I'm not really comfortable in that leadership role. I'm sorry, buddy, but that's your only option. If you, if you're interested in building a thriving household and similarly, if you have a wife and a mom who is, is either saying, I think I would like to, to have that role, like you're in trouble. So, um, I really like the idea that we can read stories that on first blush are fun stories and then there's these layers and maybe our kids never, they never grow up and pick up a copy of Aaron Bear's book. But I think a lot of that stuff just kind of seeps in via osmosis to, well, this is what, this is what a flourishing home looks like. And so anytime I can get stories like that into my kids' hands, um, even like I said, from a really young age, I think it's great and there's value to kind of on the nose, you know, household, like this is how you should set it up. Um, But kind of like you said, stories can even be 
more powerful in sinking that into our psyche. So yeah, I like they that. Kind of, they, they even, you know, increase in potency when we read and reread them. Right. Just because you start to pick up on, on different things. And I'm still trying to convince my wife of this. She's not a big fan of rereading books, but I am all for, you know, rereading stories just because you start to really have some of those, um, those themes, those truths, the author is trying to impart to their readers. Um, it really starts to, to, to your point to seep in. I want to hear more about this contentment topic because I don't care if we're talking about like ourselves, money and budgeting or like what does our lifestyle look like, all that. Contentment is a gigantic uh, problem and I don't think most of us have a clue what it looks like to have a, a household that like truly contentment would be a hallmark um, because we just live in a place where if we're if we're not spending every penny we have the world is yelling at us like you could you could have more we could we could get it to you right now you don't even have to have money for it we'll we'll put it on credit and you can have everything you want right now so contentment is foreign i would say how does it come out in the story that that's kind of one of the things that creates the household that we see in, in narnia um one of the first arguments in the book was that, you know, we have a submission problem. All of us. It's not just a man wife thing. It's we have just a submission problem to the word of God. And we need to first submit ourselves to what scripture says, the whole counsel of scripture. Um, and only then can we really start to order our household well and, and to be content in that. What I just heard you say is pretty, pretty interesting, which is the they weren't. They didn't train themselves to be contented with this amount of delicious tea and this specific amount of marmalade rolls and some of the the luxuries that we hear. That we're like, wow, that sounds like a lovely, lovely little home they're in. It's not that they were like, well, this is enough, and we are now content with it. Their 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 soul work was submission to the king. And you said that already, but like Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver are constantly talking about the king, the king. And so whatever he gives us, we're, that's great. We're, we're happy with it. But it wasn't, I, I just feel like for, for a lot of people, we strain really hard to try to train ourselves to be content with a certain amount of stuff. And we're like, well, if we live somewhere else, we'd have way less uh, as Americans. We've got, but but that fails to kind of do step one, which is submission, not not just trying to get really good at, at saying, well, we've got enough, so we shouldn't want more. But actually, we we are submitted to the one who gives everything. So whatever he ordains is, is what we would like to have. Um, that's what I got out of what you just said. But tell me, fill, fill it in where I'm missing. Yeah, no, uh, maybe to build off of that, I think, you know, we also need to kind of train ourselves and you know, hope the pray, uh, hope and pray that the spirit moves in us to find, you know, glory in the ordinary. Um, in the hospitality chapter, uh, I focus on the meal that uh, the beavers give the Pevensey children, which is, you know, the, the great and gloriously sticky marmalade roll and the freshly caught fish and the boiled potatoes. Uh, a jug of creamy milk, all that kind of stuff. You know, I actually have not had lunch yet, so now I'm making myself <laughs> hungry. So, so there, there we go. Um, uh, but 
there are two different perspectives that are explored in that meal. Uh, in one chapter, it's just, uh, as the narrator, Lewis is describing the meal. And that's when he talks about the great and gloriously sticky marmalade roll, right? And then um, pivoting, he also explores it from Edmund's perspective as well. And um, this is after Edmund got his meal with uh, the White Witch in his first visit to Narnia with the Turkish Delight, right? That enchanted food that makes him miserable. He's unable to enjoy a meal until, you know, the spell is broken by Aslan. Um, but uh, the way that Lewis describes that meal from Edmund's perspective is that he could not enjoy the ordinary food set in front of him. Kind of paraphrasing, but he uses the word ordinary there. But like, it's that contrast of uh, glory, right? The gloriously sticky marmalade roll and the ordinary, right? And uh, I just try to play on the point of, you know, how many things do we do in our household? The repetitive tasks that are, that just kind of drive us crazy and drive us to discontentment when we're looking at it the wrong way. Cause there's greater weight to what we're doing when we're, you know, making dinner, we're taking out the trash. There's greater weight than just, um, you know, a, a temporary satisfaction or just like a, you know, a, a check off the to-do list. There's eternal weight to those, uh, to those works the Lord has placed in front of us. So there, yeah, there, there's glory in the ordinary. Uh, you're in, very little child territory. So I'm sure for both you and your wife, there's a lot of those menial sort of difficult tasks. I was with our one of our pastors last night and they're potty, tra- potty training a kid. And it was like, man, this is really hard work. And you've got, there's, there's not a lot of glory uh, on the surface of running and sometimes failing to get there in time uh, <laughs> when you're trying to teach a three-year-old how to use the toilet. But it is the the zone where most of our wins and even the things that we're aiming towards are supposed to happen as opposed to like, let's just get it done. Let's get the house clean. Let's make the dinner. Let's keep the kids from killing each other. And then we can get to to the stuff that we actually enjoy doing. Totally. Yeah. I, I would totally echo all of that. And also the potty training thing. We are potty training our two-year-old <laughs> right now. Just actually before I came came down here to, to jump on, I was, uh, yeah, I took took our two-year-old, two-year-old potty and got him lunch and then ran down here. It's just a uh, life with, yeah, we have, what, yeah, three, um, five and under. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. Um, my wife is amazing trying to uh, manage all of that, especially when I'm, when I'm gone at work, uh, it makes these, these times right now, my Christmas break makes these times really sweet where I can come here or be home and, and, and help around the house and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of work and it is our glory to do it to, you know, to the best of our abilities for the, for the glory of God. I, I full on believe that for sure. We talked about order of the home. We talked about contentment which ultimately derives from submission uh, to the king. Um, and then you've hinted at it a few times, but is there a hospitality lesson in, in the Beaver family? Yeah. Ultimately, what they're doing uh, when Mr. Beaver leaves his home, goes into the dangerous forest where not all the trees are on their side, right? And and fields the Pevensies into his home. Uh in that sense, that's that's the first lesson from hospitality, right? They're they're sheltering um, the the weary, the burdened, because at that point the Pevensies just learned that uh, Mr. Tumnus, Lucy's one friend in 
in Narnia was arrested. So now they're all like in the unknown world together. And they're like, what do we do? And so th- that's the first lesson. Um, hospitality is just you're sheltering weary and burdened people sometimes, and you have to be okay with that. Other thing is, uh, like when they first get in there, uh, Mrs. Beaver is working behind the sewing machine, and immediately, Lucy's used that um, at once language. Immediately, she stops what she's doing, and she's just ushering them into the home. She's overjoyed to have them there. Um, it's not like a, hey, you know what? Let me finish this line first, and then I'll be right with you. It's a, whoa, we have guests in our home. Let's take care of them. Uh, going to how Mrs. Beaver takes the girls, especially alongside her, and teaches them, you know, how to like set their set their table and whatnot. Yeah, the Beavers are truly hospitable people, and they image um, the great host. I, I use that term, the great host, as in uh, our Lord and Savior, right? Uh, who creates this world for us to inhabit, and we are now guests in His hospitality. Yeah. I really like that. I mean, it. I said it earlier, but my wife is downstairs preparing uh, a Shabbat feast. I think that it's something that we talk about just in that weekly rhythm that we do uh, in our house because there's, A, we get a lot of at-bats at that. It's like, it's not a thing that we're going to do once and hope it goes well. Like, some weeks we do a terrible job of taking a 24-hour Sabbath and other weeks it's awesome. Um, but there's there's this interesting combination of work that is involved to prepare for it. And so I have roles there. I'm probably going to be crashing into this one after kind of trying to wrap up year-end stuff for all the clients I'm working with. She's going to be actually, she's taking time off of work, but she's going to be cooking and like preparing a meal. And then when we sit around the table, um, I don't know if, if, have you guys, you guys have come over to our house for this before, haven't you, Aaron? We did Shabbat once. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. So something not a lot of people know is that in Jewish communities, Shabbat is often called the feast of mothers. So it's the only feast that happens weekly and it's it's one of its purposes is to honor mothers because often they're the ones that are kind of doing the yeoman's work especially in settings like your home right now where there's small children like it's not to say it's like more or less work but it is is different work and often very physical work especially in certain phases of the the family life but i think it's very interesting that um god's people instituted this uh, rhythm that honors kind of not just a household and says the whole family should rest, but honors different roles inside of that. And that's a part of the resting rhythm um, and the and the feasting rhythm and a, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. So um, I don't think anybody has to do Shabbat. That's totally, totally up to uh, if it's a good tool, but I do think it gets to some of the things, you know, order contentment uh contentment being um we could work seven days we could try to get more done but the lord in his kindness has actually commanded us uh to to pause um and and really in a sense that requires us to be content with with what he has allowed us to accomplish in that time and then obviously 
anytime we're having a feast, the hospitality comes to mind. Anything we missed that you think is important uh, that, w- that we didn't touch on yet? Maybe one more. Maybe to tie it in, in a nice bow. You're talking about rest. Um, one of the first scenes as I was studying and researching for this was the scene when Father Christmas comes. It's because it's a it's honestly a really perplexing scene because I mean, to put it in context, they're trying to get to Aslan's camp and not be overtaken by the white witch who's hot on their heels. And then here comes Father Christmas to them and gives them their gifts and not just gifts, but um, you know, the reality that um, spring is coming again, that the witch's spell is, is dwindling. Right. Um, but after he gives them the gifts, he also gives them a great big teapot for them to enjoy after he leaves. And so it's just kind of a weird scene where um, here they are essentially being hunted, but they're just kind of sitting down and having some tea. And uh, I, I really talk about um, biblical rest in, in, in that chapter. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think the idea of, of being at rest, which really is largely associated with, you know, um, being at peace with God, being in God's presence, very, very much tied to that. I think that's what the enemy mostly fears, right? It's just the household that's at rest ultimately. Yeah. It makes me think of Psalm 23. I mean, having a table prepared in the presence of my enemies um, is really kind of what that scene is. And I don't know, it, it's got to be terrifying to our enemy if we're able to stop and feast and and do all that without sort of ignorance where we're just pretending the war's not on but if we're like so confident in the king the we can do both at the same time i think that's that's probably an indicator we're we're in in the right zone yeah it's one of the paradoxes of of scripture um you know like with the beavers their rest in that scene is their warfare against the witch's winter right just by them resting um they're 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 waging war on on the witch if you're listening i want you to have a joyful outpost i want your household to be a place where you can rest in the in the battle and even as a form of doing battle like aaron just said we'll put a link in the notes of this episode on where people can can get their hands on a copy hey brother thanks for being on the podcast this is this is exciting to me and i hope that your your book sells like like hotcakes mostly because i want people to get this type of message into their hands and and really enjoy the power of a good story to to bolster up households for sure amen to that Hey, if you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember, no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge and his grace is planted, planted, planted.